We are turning today to the book of Genesis. We will get back to the last book of the Bible, but today let's turn to the first book of the Bible. We'll be looking at chapters 2 and 3. So today I want to bring a message uh, given today is Mother's Day. So today I want to consider Eve, the mother of all the living. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's bow our hearts before the Lord and before what we'll learn concerning her. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, help us to recognize what we are doing. Help us to be thoughtful of where we are and what we think we're doing. Hopefully what we are doing, we are consciously opening your word that you have given us so that we can become more like you. And we are learning more about it, learning how it matters to us, so that we can affirm it to be right, and that we'll do it because it's right. And Lord, give us that sense today, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, I took the kids shopping with me for Mother's Day. I needed to get today's meal, and my kids wanted to get something for mom. So we set out, as you'd imagine, but kids can be surprising at times. I'm sure that I was a surprising child when I was young. What I mean is how my kids walked with me in the store. Instead of walking like a person normally does, And like we have done countless times before, they were leaping from colored floor tile to colored floor tile to colored floor tile to colored floor tile. And while that situation brought up a parenting opportunity, I thought it was an example of moving with a purpose, if you would, following in someone's footsteps. This is the kind of thing we do from time to time. When it's snowy outside and it's deep, we step where someone has already stepped. Well, in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we find some footsteps that ought to give us a moment to reflect, some footsteps that we ought to give our attention to. And particularly this morning, I want us to consider Eve, the first woman and the first mother of all mankind. Often the story of Adam and Eve is focused upon the creation and then the fall of man. We read often and hear that Eve was deceived by the certain and she ate the forbidden fruit. So Eve, when we think of Eve, it's not always pleasant. It's certainly not something that we ought to mimic. We're not supposed to do what Eve did when she was deceived by the serpent. But I want us to consider more specifically the creation before the fall and her response after the fall. And when we do so, we're going to see that she is a precedent for us. Her footprints are meant to be our footsteps. So this morning, let's consider two simple points. First, that the woman is the precedent for us. And second, the first mother is a precedent for us. Two points Simple for the day. The first woman is the precedent for us. 
And that's because God made the woman. This is a truth that we believe. We believe that God created man, that God created the woman. We don't believe in evolution. We believe in the direct creation of God. But we need to dig a little bit deeper this morning when it comes to God's creation of this first woman. Here in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, we see that God has placed man in the garden to work it and to enjoy the fruit of its trees, except for one of the trees. And then we see God speak in verse 18. I invite you to look in your Bibles at Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. And that's a jarring statement, given all that has been said in chapter 1. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And after God speaks here, the story continues with man given the responsibility to name all the animals. And when Adam is given that responsibility and goes about executing it, he realizes what God has said. He realizes that he's alone. Young people, Adam saw Mr. and Mrs. Bear, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, And from that, verse 20 says, For Adam there is not found a helper fit for him. And then we see that God made the woman. So there's there's something to this. God is doing something in a certain fashion to teach us something. And the Bible lays out three points that we need to learn from the creation of the woman. The first is this. The woman was made for man. The woman was made for man because God made man a helper fit for him. Look at verse 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. And this truth is emphasized to us in in the epistle of 1 Corinthians where Paul says in chapter 11 verse 9, man was not created for woman, but woman for man. You see, there's an order there that we must recognize and not reverse. Man was not created for woman, just as man was not created for the Sabbath. Problems come when we get things reversed. But why did God make the woman for the man? Well, God made the woman to be a help to the man. She is similar to the man in that she's formed in the image of God, But she's different than the man. She's not the same. She's distinct from him. So God made the woman to be a complement to the man. This is the point there. Man is one part of humanity, of mankind, and woman is the other part of mankind. And they're suitable for one another. They fit together. In the creation, this is abundantly obvious for us. Adam looked at the animals, he saw Mr. and Mrs. Bear, and he realized that mankind needs Mr. and Mrs. as well. And that recognition is important for us to believe. So, for example, men, you need to believe that marriage is a good thing because a woman is the perfect counterpart of a man. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, it is true that there are a small number of men who serve the Lord and remain single. The best thing for any man is to get married. 
Why? Because God created the woman for the man. That is to say, they're to be a match. And and people understand that. That's why the world at large has relationships between a man and a woman. That's why, for years and years, someone might consider whether or not someone is married. Because a married man is a better man. We were at a... Uh, we were at the dinner last week, last Sunday, for a pastor, and it was said, and this is said often in many different situations, but it was said that a man was a good man in part because he had a good woman behind him. What that is to show is man is better because of woman. Without woman, it's not good. Not good for man to be alone. But because of her, it is much, much better. So the first thing we see is that the woman was made for the man. It is a helper fit for him, a match. Second thing we learn, we find in verses 21 and 22, that the woman was made after the man. So once Adam had realized that he was alone, you remember how the story goes that God caused Adam to go to sleep. And then there was a surgery, and from the surgery, God used the rib bone of Adam to fashion the woman. And we learn commentary about this as well in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. God makes this point from that story. He says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. So it's not like when God created the world and all the animals that he said, two bears, two beavers, two people, man and woman. It wasn't like that. Instead, God created one, and then he created the other. And God intended the order of creation to be an indicator of priority and authority. The order of creation is not meant to show that man is superior to the woman. That's not the case here in the order of creation. Man and woman are of equal value because they are both made in the image of God. But they are distinct from one another. They're not the same. So the order of creation, in that, God determined that man is going to take the leadership role. So in the home, the husband is to be the head of the wife. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. And in the church, men are to lead in teaching doctrine, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And as I talk about men taking the leadership in their various relationships, our culture despises that. I'm aware of that. And very sadly, many cultures abuse that. But what we need to look at this and see is there's a truth that arises from the order of God's creation. That stands, no matter what culture says, no matter how badly culture abuses the relationship between a man and a woman. God's point here is that a man is supposed to lead. Now, my wife and I were side by side in Greek class at school. We sat in the back row, which was the second or third row of the class, and we graded each other's Greek tests on grammar and Greek vocab and all those things. And there were two Greek words that we learned in that semester. One was ago, and the other was a kalotheo. Ago means 
I lead. Kalotheo means I follow. And so Rachel and I had this little joke that we would lightheartedly talk about. I would say, I go, and she would answer, Akalotheo. And the reason why we were able to joke about that years and years ago is because we both believed this biblical truth. We both believed in the order of of the creation, that God created man first and woman second. We saw it modeled in our Christian homes. The application of this is very, very plain. I say it's plain because it is explicitly given to us in Scripture. A wife is supposed to allow her husband to lead in the home. Let him lead. And women are supposed to let men in the church lead them to be taught by them. The difficulty comes when a woman thinks, well, I have a better idea or I have a better way of doing that. And when you come to those moments, let them lead anyway. Don't make decision-making in your home into a fight. Young people, remember the story of Sleeping Beauty? And the story of Princess Aurora, who was raised by the fairies, and how on her 16th birthday they were going to make her a dress. And two of the fairies had ideas about that dress. One fairy wanted to make the dress blue. The other fairy wanted to make the dress pink. And you remember how they said, make it blue, make it pink, make it blue, make it pink, blue, pink, blue, pink. And it was a disaster. It was terrible. That's kind of how things are when people just fight. Nothing gets, nothing gets done. So women, you have to let... Wives, you have to let your husbands lead. And even when his idea fails, don't say, well, I told you so. Instead, what you ought to do is believe and live out the order of creation. That God made the man first and then he made the woman And even though it's Mother's Day, men, the point here is, if God made you to lead, you better be serious about leading, especially in opening God's word and talking to God in your house. We've seen that God, the woman was made by God for man, and that the woman was made after man. The third point we find in the scriptures is that the woman was made from man. Woman was made from man. We see this in verses 21 through 24, where Eve was made from Adam. You recall how the story goes that Adam slept and God did surgery. And from man, once refined, God made woman twice refined. We think we, we especially men, we could all understand animals. It's long neck. What's the glory of an elephant? It's long nose. And what's the glory of an, of an athlete? Perhaps it's his speed, it's his skill. What's the glory of man? Woman. Because she was taken out of man, she is man's unique glory, his excellence. Therefore, what a wife does reflects on her husband. We read about this morning as we read Proverbs chapter 31. It says that the husband of the industrious woman has a place of honor. Because of his wife, 
because she brings a high opinion to her husband. She magnifies her husband. And what a wife reflects upon her husband, God intends that to be a good reflection. She doesn't, God does not want the actions of the wife to reflect poorly on the husband. Next, let's think about what, da- what Adam said about God making the woman from his side. We've talked about what Paul says about the fact that God made the woman from the man. Now let's say what Adam says. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, at last, you got to love this. There's, There's passion in that statement. This, at last, I've looked at all these animals. I realize I'm alone. I have no helper. And now I see the woman. This, at last, is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And there's a play on words in the Hebrew there. Isha, because she was taken from Ish. It's really beautiful. The point that Adam makes is the creation of the woman from man makes the race of mankind one. It's not to say that when God made the woman from the man, he was making something inferior to the man, an inferior classification to the man. Instead, by making the woman from the man, she becomes part of mankind. The woman is the female part of mankind, and the man is the male version of mankind. And together, they make up one mankind. That's what we see in chapter 5, verse 2. It says that God created man, he created them male and female, and blessed them, and he named them mankind. So both the woman and the man are part of mankind, one race, one classification. So this doesn't make her less than the man, instead it sets her in the same category as the man. So you've seen what Paul said that the creation of the woman from the man makes the woman the glory of the man. We've seen what, we see what Adam said. We see that the creation of the woman makes the, from the man makes the race of mankind one. And now let's consider what God says. Let's consider what God says. Verse 24, Therefore, that is to say, because the woman was taken out of the man... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The point is, the creation of the woman from the man is meant to lead them to becoming one. God took one and made two, so that in his ordering, two would become one. You see the math there? God's intention for one man and one woman is one flesh. And other relationships are left to serve that oneness. It says a man shall leave his father and mother. Because this relationship is of such importance. 
And it is only a relationship between one man and one woman that can create this kind of unity, this kind of oneness. Two men or two women or a parent and a child or a brother and a sister or whatever else doesn't work for this kind of union. And this oneness is a unique union, not only of the body, but of the entire person. So husbands, think of it this way. All of your life is wrapped up with your life. All of it. We're supposed to leave and cleave and weave. Now I began the whole point with point one trying to say that the first woman serves as a precedent for us. And as I said that, I'm not trying to say that the first woman made a lot of choices and we need to make the same choices. All that I've been talking about is what God did. God created the woman in a very specific way. And the point is this. God intends the way he made things to matter to us in very specific ways. He intends that we understand that a woman is made for man, after man, and from Man And all that was before the fall. And that needs to instruct us. It needs to be the precedent for us. But now let's fast forward ahead beyond the fall of man and consider what happens after the fall. So we'll see, secondly, this morning, the first mother is a precedent for us. The first mother is a precedent for us because Eve believed God as Adam did. I want you to just think with me for a moment. What is the very first thing that is recorded for us after God pronounced the curse on mankind? How does the story go on from God telling the serpent, the woman, and the man that they were cursed? God says, to dust you shall return. Now what goes from there? What happens next? Verse 20, it says that Adam named the woman Eve. Have you ever thought, how does that fit together? That sounds very odd. Adam names the woman Eve because she's the mother of all the living? I mean, so far in the story, there hasn't been any mention of children. Or has there been? Look back at verse 15 where God speaks to the serpent. And seemingly the man and the woman heard this when God spoke to the serpent. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, Satan. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, that's her offspring, will bruise your head. The idea here, young people, is when you bruise someone's head, that's a mortal wound. That's a fatal wound. You die from that. Last You shall bruise his heel. That's a temporal thing. You won't die from that. The point is, listening to the serpent has brought them death. But God is promising that the seed of the woman is going to achieve victory over the cause of death. That's what God is saying here. You listened, now you're going to die. But I make a promise the seed of the woman is going to have victory. Now the question is, how is Adam going to respond to that? God has just spoken. What is Adam going to do? Well, you might think Adam could have responded by turning to the woman and saying, 
I call you dust because you brought me death. Your death, mauve, that's the Hebrew word. He didn't do that. Instead, he called the woman Eve. And this is translated into the Greek as the word for Zoe. These words mean life. She's the mother of all the living. Here's the point. Adam could have despised the woman. He could have gone on and said, She's, she made a mess of all this. He could have called her death, but instead he believes God. He believes the promise of God, and he calls the woman life. Because from her would come the victory over death. And he believes that she's going to be the mother that brings life. He believes the word of God. Young people, listen just for a second here. When you believe what God says, that is what we call faith. So, for example, when God says that a person who confesses his sin is forgiven, faith is believing it. It's taking God at his word. It's saying, you said it. I believe it. That's faith. And Adam here sets an example of faith. And we know that because he calls the woman Eve. And from there, Eve follows Adam's example of faith. Because Eve named her children Cain and Seth, chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 25. After knowing Adam and bearing a child, Eve says something. Eve speaks. Look at verse 1. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She realizes that by the Lord, she has brought forth life into the world. Of course, we don't know if she thought, well, this is the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. It turned out that wouldn't be the case. But then she has another child. Verse 25, she has Seth, and she says this, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. The point is that Eve believes that her children are from the Lord. And instead of despising the Lord, who brought a curse on mankind, instead of just living in her guilt of eating the forbidden fruit, Instead, she believes that a champion is going to come from her. She realizes that before she doubted God's word. She realizes that she got her husband to listen to her counsel. But now she's going to follow her husband's example of faith. And she too speaks words of faith in God's word. Obviously, she's not the only person who trusts what God says. And that's why I say she's a precedent for us. The first mother is a precedent for us. Her footsteps in this regard serve as footsteps for us. Even as those colored tiles at the store served as footprints, footsteps for my kids. God intends us to learn from the first woman and from the first mother. In the one case, God is, his intention comes from the fact of how God made the woman. He made her for man, after man, and from man. And in the case of God, sharing how Eve responds after the fall, God is intending for us to walk 
in her footsteps because her footsteps are footsteps of faith. So by that, may we be encouraged to likewise follow her footsteps. Father, help us as we consider these things. Help us to consider your word and how you created things and how you have chosen to set certain things in your word so we'll know them, so we'll learn from them. Father, thank you for putting this there to help us. Even as we heard this morning in Sunday school, you have created a certain order and beauty and glory so that we will have it and enjoy it and learn from it and be blessed by it. So Lord, as we have considered Eve this morning and this example of faith, we pray that our hearts would be ready and willing to likewise believe you and what you say to us and react to those things that we believe to be true with acts of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.